Welcome back to the Big Mark Podcast. It's me, your host, Big Mark. If it's your first time watching, welcome. If not, welcome back. Like I always say, if you ever wanted to reach out to the podcast, let us know about any topics or anything or anything you wanted to hear or any critiques or anything like that. Please reach out to us at, at the Big Mark Pod or at the Big Mark Podcast on our Twitter, on our Instagram. Check it out. Hit our DMs. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends. Support us. Tell everyone you know if you like. If uh, you think you'd like the podcast, let them know. You know, if you told one friend, we we can double the podcast overnight. Uh, please rate the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, please hit the bell and subscribe to our channel so you know when the next uh, next videos are out. And again, let me know. Um, let me know what you think. I always want to hear from everyone. I want to grow the community, and you know that's what this is all about. And you know, I talk about this podcast being you know covers everything from sports to psychedelics and you know I try to meander through that line as much as I can and and or you know work my way as as much as I can across that spectrum and and again you know the thing is is that the bottom line is that some of the stuff that's a little bit more on the extreme ends of things you know, it's a little bit more um, yeah, controversial, juicy, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I've been meaning to do this episode for a while because I've always wanted to go through a lot of the, I guess it's, I guess it's considered potentially one of the classic psychedelics. But again, going over, going over this psychedelic is, is an interesting one for me because personally, I've only had a little bit of, of. Uh, experience with it in the in the little bit experience I've had has been generally positive but overall it's been a strange it's 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 been a strange relationship just personally but anecdotally I've heard such great things and we're talking about MDMA today Molly X you know whatever whatever you want to call it it um it's a popular drug today. You know, a lot of kids are doing it on the street kind of thing. A lot of people are doing it. Um, especially around like music festivals and things like that. But another major thing about it is that it's being used majorly in, uh, in psychedelic therapy and, and, and just general psychotherapy treatments. So MDMA, as we all know it, the long form scientific name for it is three uh, methyl methyl and dioxy no sorry three four methylene dioxy methamphetamine methylene dioxy methamphetamine or MDMA commonly known as ecstasy uh, normally that's the form found in a tablet. Uh, usually sold on the street in uh, like a little tiny pill, but like shaped as many different things. Again, it being illicit, uh, a lot of drug manufacturers pressed the pills into like funny little shapes or like little different. I remember 
on The Sopranos, there's a scene where one of the dudes is selling ecstasy and he's talking about um, different shapes that they're selling and they're in Jersey. And I guess he was shape, uh, he sold um, some pills that were in the shape of the Maserati logo before. And he had some in the, in the, like the Mercedes logo, some, some shit like that. Right. So again, it was all marketing, but that's how you usually find it. And that's when it was known as ecstasy. And that's more so kind of in the, in the late eighties, nineties, people were doing ecstasy. Um, but in today's day and age is mostly known, uh, in its crystal form as Molly or Mandy, which I came across in my research, which I thought was interesting. Uh, X beans, and Adams thought was a really interesting one. Hey, yo, son, you got any Adams? I guess MDMA Adams, and there's D. I guess like it's like uh, M. Uh, fuck, it's a tough one. God bless the Adams family. Um, so it is an impo- it is a potent empathogen or intactogen which I thought was a really interesting designation for a drug because what it really means is that it enhances emotional communion, oneness, relatedness, and emotional openness. And so I guess all those effects, you can kind of see why it would be, why it would be useful in, in the clinical setting. You know what I mean? Uh, it also has stimulant properties, which again, you know, paired with those other feelings is primarily why it was used in party settings, right? Like this stimulant factor um, on top of this emotional communion and good vibes and oneness and uh, relatedness and emotional openness, right? Like all that together, um, you know, obviously resulted in re- in... in in an effect that, you know, this is why people took the drug in a party setting because, you know, you're jiving, you're dancing, you're getting after it, the music's pumping, the drug is enhancing basically all those good feelings you're already having. Um, so the beneficial pharmacological effects, pharmacological effects include altered sensations, increased energy, and pleasure. Again, all those feelings... Relating back to the party scene. Um, when taken orally, effects can last from 30 to 45, uh, can begin uh, in 30 to 45 minutes and last for three to six hours. So again, all this, the, it's, it's, as I'll get into in a second, it's not that when, when they, when a drug like this comes out or, or is first created or, or manufactured or, you know, uh, imagined, so to speak, it's not created with the idea that it's going to be a party drug. I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. There's designer drugs out there with the sole intent to get to get people high. But when it's first ever done, when we're first stumbling across a drug that we've never seen before, like, like Merrick did in 1912... They didn't know that it was going to be this party drug. They they actually were trying to make a, a drug that was going to stop excessive bleeding. But because of the effects of this actual drug they found in, in doing clinical tests, they said someone along the line said, hey, you know what? This would probably be good if we took it like at the bar or at the club or whatever. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, so like I said, MDMA was first developed by American in 1912, drug company, to stop excessive... The the initial idea when they started the research was to, to create a drug to stop excessive bleeding. Um, and then throughout... Again, this is where my research got a little bit... A little bit strange. I kind of felt like Gandalf going to Ministerius trying to do a little bit of research. Um, or wherever he went. I think it was Ministerius. Anyway. Um, it was used. So for from 1912 to like 1970, my research gets a little spotty. So don't get me wrong. MDMA really got swept up in the war on drugs and things like that. But... It was still, there's still research being done on it. It was still, you know, not classified as a full on um, major schedule one, I guess, for the time being, because in the 70s, it was actually used to uh, enhance psychotherapy. And even today, it's one of the leading drugs in psychedelic assisted therapy, like I mentioned before. Um, So after it was used in the psychotherapy setting in the 70s, it became a popular street drug in the 80s commonly associated with dance parties and raves and EDM. Um, and again, that's what I was saying. In the 80s, it was more like those ecstasy pills. And a lot of the negative associations with M or ecstasy, I guess, at the time was uh, with these pills being cut with other stimulants. So a lot of, you know, with with one of the, one of the major effects of MDMA being a stimulant, a lot of a lot of dealers, a lot of drug manufacturers, would cut the the drug with more stimulants, cheaper stimulants than than you know the pure MDMA that they that they would have bought. They would have mixed that together to make their product last a little bit longer, to make it stretch out a little bit longer, get a little bit bang, more bang for their buck. So a lot of people were having negative effects or negative um, side effects. Not from the MDMA that was in the ecstasy itself, but from those other adjuncts that were added in. Because in in the clinical setting, MDMA isn't usually associated with really heavy-duty negative side effects. Um, and the way it actually works in the brain is that it, it works by increasing the release of serotonin, dopamine, and noradrenaline. So again... It makes sense to think that, oh, when you're doing that and when you when you abuse the drug or over not overdose in the sense that you're you're you know, gonna wind up in a hospital overdose, but like take too much of the drug or on too much of a consistent basis where you might throw off some of that equilibrium, right? Because again, that's how the human body works when we're taking any drug. You know, and, and in no way I should have started this off with a disclaimer, but in no way am I am I telling anyone to do these drugs or anything. But inherently, um, anytime you do do a drug, your body is is working to get back to equilibrium. It's working. It's trying to to get to get a sense or to get back to that to that baseline. So, you know, even if it's even if it's something like coffee, right? So when we drink coffee, the caffeine goes in and blocks the adenosine receptors in our brain. There's not necessarily a rebound effect there, but the, that buildup of, of adenosine doesn't go away. 
it's still there. As soon as you your caffeine wears off, that adenosine's going to come in. If your body is making a hormone, um, and this isn't this is the case of a lot of drugs. What happens is if your body is making a certain neurotransmitter, and all of a sudden you're taking a drug that inhibits that, excites that ability, whatever it does, it can actually um, when when you come off that drug, your body doesn't necessarily know that right away, and it keeps fighting against this. It keeps fighting against that feeling, right? So, you know, essentially, when you're when you're trying to get back to baseline, like you know, for smoking smoking weed and stuff like that, um, a lot of people get really hungry when they smoke weed. They get the munchies, and sometimes when you go off smoking weed, a lot of people lose their appetite because essentially what's happening is you're the weed is making you hungry and your body's going, there's no need to be hungry. We've already eaten something. So it, it, it increases that, um, that, that other hormone or, um, or that neurotransmitter, that chemical in your brain, it increases that to tell you that you're not hungry. And as soon as you remove the weed from the equation, your body's still telling your, your itself that it's not hungry. And then you don't eat again. These aren't necessarily elegant, elegant, um, Oh my God. Can't think tonight, folks. Anyway, thanks for joining me. No. Um, sorry, these aren't, these aren't, um, and, uh, and, oh my God, anecdotes. Oh shit. Someone out there is screaming the word that I'm trying to, tr- trying to say. Um, and, anagrams, a- allegories, analogs. Sorry, everybody. Again, not the perfect, not the perfect examples. Here we go. We're back. Um, so it's it's interesting, right? In the sense that you know, drugs for for MDMA, it's not necessarily a high chance of addiction, but you know, drugs of abuse when you when you overdo it or overdose, obviously things things can happen. You can have some of these rebound effects, but normally speaking, in the seg- in the in the clinical setting, you don't really see these negative effects. But because um, because a lot of those pills back in the day um, were were made with made with such terrible ingredients, and um, and even today, just the way that the MDMA just works on our system it's 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 easy to get some of these rebound effects and feel these these when you're on the drug you're feeling this euphoria and everything and sometimes when you come off it you feel this kind of negative depressed feeling and even that can sometimes be a little bit of um of a you know you're you're comparing that extreme euphoria to maybe your baseline again but sometimes you dip below there's a little bit of a rebound effect when you're coming up from this high. You dip below baseline a little bit before you come back to normal. Uh, it is part of the substituted amphetamine class of drugs. Um, it actually has a similar structure to mescaline, methamphetamine, and serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. So again, that's how the drug is working in your brain. It's going in there. It's telling your brain to to create more of these. Um, of these neurotransmitters, which makes you feel good. Obviously, serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, these are all amazing. These these all trigger usually a heightened sense and a heightened feeling across the board. Um, 
and that'll come into uh, actually the assisted psychotherapy later. Uh, so again, the, the we'll get into the effects a little bit more here. Again, 30 to 60 minutes after oral ingestion, um, that's when effects start to come on. Uh, the peak is at about 75 minutes, plateau around three and a half hours. So it kind of reaches a point and kind of that that feeling stays there for about three and a half hours. And I'm talking euphoria, increased self-confidence, uh, that intactogenic effect. So you're feeling this like oneness with the world, dilated pupils, relaxation, a sense of inner peace, increased emotionality, mild hallucination, Enhanced sensation, perception, uh, uh, or sexuality, and altered sense of time. And again, you know, I wish I had a little bit more experience with this drug because, again, I've had so many, many people, a lot of my friends say that it's such a great drug. They've had so much fun. But a lot of the times I've done it, I've just straight up, I felt like I honestly felt angry. And again, I think that's that's the interesting thing. That I'll get to, I'll get to in a second, and this is what might have been happening. Is that because I maybe wasn't taking high enough dose? Because again, you know, obviously I'm a big guy, six foot seven, three hundred twenty-five pounds. Let's just say right now, I usually have to take a little bit, a little bit more than the average person because I'm larger. I have more body mass, things like that. That goes for Tylenol. That goes for all all types of different things, right? You know, just larger in general, more blood volume to deal with all this shit. So maybe I just haven't taken enough, but the times I've taken it, literally, I felt angry. I mean, more recently, the times I have have done it with good stuff that I know was good, um, I felt I felt that sense of euphoria and that and definitely that sense of um, stimulation and much more um, much I definitely had a, a much better experience, but still haven't really like dove into like a, a, a you know what I would consider a very high dose or then gone out and, and and tried to like party on it and stuff too right so I haven't really had the full sense and experience and. That's the other problem too is that a lot of these drugs, maybe they're not meant to be partied on. Maybe they're not drugs that you should go out there and dance around to or I don't know. It's These drugs that potentially are helping us feel at one with ourselves or heal our minds from, from traumatic events. It's it's maybe we have to be a little bit more careful with them and, and we shouldn't just use them just to go party in the clubs and also drink with and and carry on and sweat and that's like you know there's a lo- there's loads of reasons why people are feeling shitty after or they're feeling terrible the next day they're probably dehydrated danced out partied out you know it's not just the fact that you you were your body was coursing with serotonin and dopamine um so yeah so i wish i i wish i had a little bit more experience myself with it but again this is the interesting part about it and this is why this is why we need to move into some scenarios where you can experience some of these some of these drugs in a safe way. And you know, that doesn't necessarily mean everyone has to be going through a therapy session when doing it, but having a guide and having someone who knows what they're doing and knows how to uh, administer the drug to you as well, like I said in my case where I feel like I might need a little bit more or a specific dose, like everyone needs a specific dose. Um 
I think I think we shouldn't shy away. We should learn how to how to you know how to do these drugs sensibly because why does this why does this drug exist? Why do we have a drug that we can take that mimics all these different um these different neuropathways and these different neurotransmitters in our body that are already there. It's not like it's it's creating some whole new system. It's working on systems that already exist. So why not? You know, like I always say, the brain is meant to be modulated. And if you have this drug that is capable of doing all these things simultaneously, again, a lot of a lot of psychedelics you have only really work on one neurotransmitter or one, you know, one system in the body. But like I mentioned, you know, maybe an, an issue that was happening with me where I was having this negative effect is because I probably was essentially doing a microdose, doing a subliminal dose of the drug that is 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 under perception. So this is the one the one tricky thing about about microdosing. You, you always hear about microdosing what, you know, of course microdosing mushrooms, microdosing LSD. Just because you can do those two other things and they've had really good effects and a lot of people do, you know, Silicon Valley, Steve Jobs, whoever, me, whatever you want to say, there are benefits to microdosing those psychedelics, but not that doesn't mean every psychedelic should be should be microdosed, and that's probably, and and that doesn't even necessarily go for stimulants because some stimulants you can just take a little bit of it and feel a little pep and you're good. The but that therein lies the rub is that if you are feeling it, if you're feeling buzzed, it's not a microdose. If you've taken a microdose and you feel it, it is not a microdose. You want it has to be subliminal technically for it to be a microdose. Um. And the problem with microdosing MDMA in the research that I did, it alludes to the fact that you're essentially, you know, the plane is taking off. You take the microdose, the plane is taking off, but you you didn't give it enough juice to get up through the clouds and into the clear skies. It's still in the rough turbulence just going through there and then it's going to come back down eventually and you're going to be, you know, whatever, a little bit older. But like you're not really you're not really giving yourself a good chance and it almost has a paradoxical effect and you can actually like uh, like dysregulate parts of the brain and things like that in the sense that you know you're 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 gonna you could especially prolonged use and a lot of times microdosing is a, is a regular occurrence um, you can really kind of essentially throw off your tolerances to to MDMA if you wanted to do it in the future Um. But one of the big things I did want to did want to talk about today and finish up with today was uh, MDMA assisted psychotherapy. You know, PAT, uh, one of the one of the major disorders that M- MDMA assisted therapy um, has been known has been found to help with is is post traumatic stress disorder. Um, so post traumatic stress disorder obviously comes from a traumatic event, um, and essentially you you've been traumatized to the to the point where your fear response your trauma response uh your stress response is way out of whack it's on high alert more or less all the time i mean there's different kind of forms or um presentations of of post-traumatic stress disorders but major post-traumatic stress uh you know 
disorder includes a persistent feeling of, you know, there's constant danger looming or again, any loud noise can set you off. Or again, there's a, a, a cascade of emotions just brimming at all times that any little thing can set, set it off. And all of a sudden you snap. Um, and, you know, veterans and people who have witnessed violence or other events in life, ha- you know, suffer from this. And it's usually treated with uh, cognitive cognitive behavior therapy, uh, eye movement reprocessing, and psychodynamic psychotherapy. And the idea is you want to get the patient into the optimal arousal zone, which is um, a place where the patient's emotions are engaged, but it's not it's not an overwhelming feeling. You know, you're you're thinking about so those thoughts. You're 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 feeling you know, that boiling, that boiling pot that's about to bubble over, it's a rolling boil and it's going and it's near the edge, but it's not going to, it's not going to boil over and you don't want it to boil over. In fact, as a therapist, and if you're dealing with a patient has, has, that has PTSD and you trigger that and you let the pot over boil, you let it get out of hand, it can be just as traumatic as the event that caused the PTSD. So you got to be very careful again with anyone that has post-traumatic stress disorder, but what research has found is that MDMA actually helps patients stay in this optimal zone, which is really interesting because, again, that doesn't mean you should be more careless as a um, as a as a practitioner, but that just means it's a little bit easier to to kind of guide the ship and the the. Um, those PTSDs that the sorry the PTSDs, I mean I guess the P, the post traumatic stress disorders, but the issues that can stem um, from PTSD are due to uncontrolled responses from the amygdala, and MDMA actually increases the production of oxytocin, which reduces the amygdala response, and actually helps uh, memory reconsolidation. So, again, essentially, PTSD patients have tied memories to um to these the this uh, this sense of immediate threat this um sympathetic nervous system fight or flight response to an immediate threat they've tied to these memories so that when they think about these memories it's as if those memories are happening right in that moment and with this this increase in in oxytocin caused by the MDMA this memory reconsolidation can actually separate the memories from this sense of immediate threat. And you can kind of reframe those memories as just memories and then have those feelings be dealt with in another way. And in 2018, uh, MDMA has actually was actually identified as a psychoplastogen, which means it's capable of promoting neuroplasticity. So again, talking about that whole memory reconsolidation in the amygdala, you can actually re- rewire parts of the brain essentially physically and help patients avoid these avoid these uh, symptoms. You know, it really makes me think about drugs are interesting because essentially drugs, there's no bad drug. Drugs aren't bad they're chemicals they're 
you know, naturally growing plants. They're, you know, naturally occurring fungi, things like that. They are inanimate objects, more or less. I mean, we can talk about the spirituality of some of these drugs, don't get me wrong. But as far as scientifically, physiologically speaking, these drugs don't have, don't have free will and consciousness in them. We have the free will and consciousness to take the drugs. And I think a lot of the problems that stem with a lot of drug abuse in this in this society is that we put a lot of um, negative connotation on, on on a lot of these drugs, and that was that came from the, the war on drugs for for years and years. But I think what happens is is that we've got away as we've got away from a culture where we don't have a lot of people in our lives that say, "Hey, that we can go to and and ask and say." you know, how do I do this drug? Is this drug safe? We don't have medicine men. We don't have shamans. We don't have people like that that could could guide us through some of these things that humans have used for thousands of, hundreds of thousands of years, if that. We've used these drugs and they've been a part of our of our cultures and been part of our societies. And there's something that has, has severely molded the human brain and the human consciousness buy these drugs again if some of these drugs and yes this was synthesized in 1912 don't get me wrong but there's a lot of other drugs that have been part of our of our culture that you know we have simultaneously evolved along with them and i think when we throw all these drugs away and say all drugs are bad all the people that do drugs are bad you know if i do these drugs i'm going to be a bad person all these different reasons why people stay away from drugs is illegal just that alone has prevented so many people from potentially opening their minds, potentially getting to a point in life where we can start looking past a lot of these kind of petty issues and and these separations and this us and them mentality and really push forward into this into this new realm of understanding each other in a new profound way that's never been never ever been done before and we can we can get there and we can explore inner and outer space together but we're so hung up on all these Puritan ideals and these, and these ideas that, you know, these drugs change your mind, but they don't change it for the worse. They could change it for the better. And maybe it's not even a permanent thing. And if we are able to approach these drugs in a, in a healthy way, and we know how much to take and we can get there, we can have these experiences that do help us ascend and help us get to the next level. I think that's all we can do. And hopefully, and it seems like we're getting there, you know, they've, they've legalized a lot of these drugs for research now. And like, there's a lot of, um, there's a big push, I think in BC, I think like a lot of like crazy, like heroin, cocaine, like a lot of opium opiates are, are legal something wild like that, at least in the States and the West coast, things like that are happening. So it's starting to get out there. These are baby steps. It's not perfect. Uh, not, and I'm not saying it should be sold in the corner store. I'm still leaning towards assisted therapies and, and assisted, um, um, assisted trips and things like that. So I'm all for it. So keep it up. Keep on rocking. Um, thank you for listening. Please let me know. Please ask questions. Please reach out. Let me know your experiences. Um, you know, talk in the comments about it. Uh, again, I want to um, grow grow this community and the only way to do it is with all you guys. So thank you all for giving me your time today. Thank you all for bearing with me when I couldn't fucking remember the word for analogy. 
And um, yeah, check us out on our Instagram or our Twitter at the Big Mar Pod at the Big Mar Podcast. DM us there with any ideas for podcasts or any critiques. If you wanted to donate to the podcast, check out our Patreon, patreon.com says the Big Mark Pod. Um, please reach out anytime. Rate the podcast if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe and like the video and subscribe to the channel. And again, thank you so much for watching. Watching, Tell your friends. Get out there. Party hard. Party safe. Doot, doot, loot, doot. Doot, doot.